0: What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life, followed by a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here, and without further delay, let's tune in.
1: I'm Jackson Martin, and I'm a senior at Pierce High School. I have a new life, new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from pride and lustful thoughts. I've been a part of the church for as long as I can remember, and because of this, I thought I had a perfect relationship with God, and I didn't take it very seriously. I thought believing in God just meant going to church and knowing all the Bible stories. I accepted Jesus at a young age because my parents were Christian, and I thought that's what they wanted of me but I lacked a genuine relationship with God. I was prideful of myself and my achievements and was seeking happiness in whether I got the best grades or won in sports. I was trying to fill a hole in myself with these achievements and praise from others. I felt, I felt if I didn't achieve, uh, people would think less of me, but when I did achieve something, it just, le- it just left me wanting more and more. It was a never-ending battle inside me and the pressure was a burden to carry around. My faith at the time was very weak, and I was relying on my strength rather than God's. Fast forward to eighth grade, I got baptized here at Watermark. I thought I completed the Christian checklist, but I still wasn't pursuing a relationship with God. On the outside, I looked great. I was in the Christian friend group and was going to church in small group, but on the inside, I was living for myself and the desires of the world. I thought that once I matured enough, I would actually take Christianity seriously, but until then, I would just do what I wanted to do. I was going from camp high to camp high with little to no interaction with Jesus in between. The summer of my sophomore year, I went to Pine Cove. I read my Bible for about two weeks and then completely shut God out of my life. I didn't read my Bible rarely and thought, and thought about God for months. The burden of achieving a school and sports was weighing down on me and I felt overwhelmed and anxious. One day, a friend invited me to a Bible study and it changed my perspective about Christ. I realized that I don't need to wait for anything to pursue a relationship with God. I took a leap of faith and started to pray for an actual relationship with God and not just go through the motions. Over time, I've seen my relationship with God grow as I run to Christ daily and cast my worries and anxieties on him. Pursuing a relationship with God has felt like a burden has been lifted off my shoulders and the pressures for worldly success fade and heavenly desires grow. This freedom in Christ motivating me to help start a community group and take a more active role in the church. Matthew 11, 29 through 30 says, take my yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This means that pursuing God is not burdensome or difficult and he will guide us through our troubles. But don't get me wrong, following God doesn't make your life perfect. I still struggle with pride and lust every day, but instead of facing it on myself, I can lean on God. If you relate to any part of my story, I challenge you to take a leap of faith and seek a true and genuine relationship with God. I also challenge you to cast all your fears, anxieties, and worries to God so you can experience the freedom that I felt. Thank you for listening to my story.
0: Man, you may take a seat. You may take a seat. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Thank you guys for being here at the first shoreline of the school year. It is a joy and a privilege to get to gather with y'all. I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and grab your journal and let's get ready to learn together. Maybe you don't—you you take your notes or you have your Bible on your phone. I want to encourage you or challenge you to put your phone on Do Not Disturb so that you can focus in on what the Lord might have for you um, from his word tonight. And so I'm going to start with a statement and then I'm going to illustrate it in a familiar way. Here's the statement. Thoughts when they're repeated often enough, become beliefs. And then beliefs become actions. And then actions become habits. And then habits become a way of life. Thoughts become beliefs, which become actions, which become habits, which become a way of life. And to prove this truth, this observation about reality to you, um, here's what I'm going to do. I want your participation for this next 10 seconds or so. I'd love for you guys to let me know what sports teams are represented by the logos on screen. Just yell it out. What teams are represented by the logos on screen? Cowboys. Cowboys. Yes, I love. I love the enthusiasm. If you said Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, NM Aggies. Etc., et why did I say that? Um, if you said any of those team names, you were wrong. Those are not the teams represented on screen, those logos represent the universal symbol of crushed hopes and dreams. That's right, you know it's true. Every single year, it's our year. Oh, the Aggies are gonna do it. No, they won't. The boys are gonna do it. No, they won't. And as SMU, no, they won't. Where was Texas? They don't even need to be in there, if we're being honest. Uh, So anyways, I'm glad we're all on the same page here. So let me use that example to illustrate the truth that I just um, presented to you. So, here's the thought that you have if you're a sports fan of any of these teams or other teams. The thought that you have at the beginning of every season when there's new life and new hope is this is going to be our year. Maybe we have a new coach, we got new players, we've drafted people, all of this stuff. This is our year. You say it so many times, you begin to believe it. You're like, I believe we can do it. We can win the, the Super Bowl, we can win uh, the Stanley Cup, we can win the national championship. And because you begin to believe it, you begin to act upon that belief. And on Sunday afternoons or Saturday afternoons or whenever the the, the teams play, you sit down in front of your television with your family or your friends and you watch. And usually it ends in agony. Maybe you even spend money and go to the games to support these teams. And so you you build upon this belief and you act and that action uh, continues on and becomes a habit where week after week, despite all of your disappointment and sadness that your team lost two years in a row in the the World Series, or that your team does incredible during the regular season, and when the playoffs hit, they forget how to play their sport. You still watch them, you're still committed to them because maybe they'll win. Maybe this won't be like the last time. And so you build that habit of belief in your team, and soon enough, it becomes a way of life and you say the phrase that you've probably said before, maybe this year, maybe this next year will be our year. And so the thoughts become beliefs, which become actions, which become habits, which become a way of life. And I start with that illustration because some of you in this room are stuck in a way of life right now, way more significant than sports. Some of you are stuck in a way of life in your personal experience that began with just a thought. And you repeated that thought so often that you began to believe it. And then you started to act on it. And then it became a habit. And before you knew it, you're stuck. Or you're swimming in a way of life that you never intended to experience. You see, studies are coming out, it feels like almost every other month, And they talk about the fact that Generation Z, which high school students are right in the middle of, these studies say that you, your generation, is the most stressed, depressed, anxious, confused, suicidal generation in all of human history. But what the studies don't know is that you don't need a study to know that that's true. All you need to do is look down the row in your classroom. All you need to do is sit at the lunch table with your friends. All you need to do is spend 30 seconds on social media and you know that the reality of anxiety and stress and depression and uh, everything else is true of your generation. But here's what else is true about you. You don't want things to stay that way. You're ready for a change. And as the Shoreline team, as we observe this reality about Generation Z and specifically you guys in this room or listening, man, we we felt a burden from the Lord to address this topic. And so our series for the school year, as you can see, is called The Fight for Your Mind. The Fight for Your Mind. And the goal of this school year, this series, is to hopefully equip you with truth about God, with truth about life, that can help you in the fight for your mind, that can help you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In fact, the theme verse for our, our, our school year series is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses four and five. 2 Corinthians 10, verses four and five. The apostle Paul writing to some Christians and by extension writing to us in this room tonight, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses four and five. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so as we journey through this series this school year, let me make sure you understand what this series is not. This is not a series hoping to diagnose your mental health condition. Your mental health condition can be diagnosed by a licensed professional counselor. And so maybe some of you in the room, as you even hear me say those words, uh, you might be considering, is counseling um, something that I need to look into? And maybe it's a conversation with your parents, trusted friends, your small group leaders. uh, But that's not the goal of this series. And the goal of this series is also not to make sure you feel good all the time. Negative emotions are a part of being human. But hopefully you are equipped in those moments where the lies that the world tries to tell you or the lies that our enemy tries to deceive you with, that you can take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So some of you your battle with stress and depression and loneliness and confusion, it begins with your thoughts. And your enemy, the devil, who is committed to stealing from you, to killing you and to destroying everything that's good in your life, your enemy, the devil, knows that if he can get you to think inaccurately about God, then he has his foot in the door and he's well on his way to having influence over your life. And so we're gonna spend our next few moments uh, looking at this idea of how to win the fight for your mind. How to win the fight for your mind. I know some of you in this room, like this is your present experience and it hasn't been easy to battle those thoughts, to battle those lies. And maybe for some of you tonight is the beginning of of you actually fighting and not just feeling uh, a sense of defeat every moment of every day. And so we're gonna observe how to win the fight for your mind by being reminded of three things that we need to know if we're gonna win the fight for our mind. The first is to know how the enemy attacks, know how the enemy attacks you. Number two is to know your best defenses against the enemy. And number three is to know the result of fighting back. So know how your enemy attacks, know the best defenses you have against his attacks, his lies and deception, and then know the result Of fighting back. This is how to win the fight for your mind. So let's look at the first point and dive in. Know how the enemy attacks. If you're gonna win the fight for your mind both tonight and 20 years into the future, wherever you find yourself, this is what you need to understand. The enemy's main tactic, his main strategy for lying to you, for deceiving you, for convincing you of something that isn't true, making you think a thought so much that you believe it and you act on it and it becomes a habit and it becomes a way of life that you do not want. This is how he um, accomplishes his mission. The enemy's main tactic is to attack your view of God. The enemy's main strategy for beating you in the battle for your mind is to attack your view of God. And we see that uh, illustrated a little bit in 2 Corinthians 10, verse five. Let's look at it again. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against what? Against the knowledge of God. Pay attention to that idea. In fact, I have this same verse and a couple other translations to kind of help us understand a little bit more of the context. So here is the exact same verse in the ESV. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. In the New Living Translation, look at how this verse is translated. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. So do you see it? The enemy's main tactic is to get you, is to get me to think inaccurately about God. That's always been his strategy. In fact, it's his only game plan. And it's so helpful to know what his strategy is. In fact, join me in Genesis chapter three, and we're gonna see How his strategy that we just talked about, attacking uh, our view of God, played itself out with the first man and woman. In Genesis chapter three, the earth is perfect. God has just created everything. It's beautiful. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no sin. There's no shame. Everything is perfect. And in the midst of this perfection, we find Genesis chapter three, verses one through five. Let's read it together. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. So the serpent here is uh, our enemy, the devil. I want you to understand that there is an unseen enemy uh, who was once an angel in heaven. And at one point he said, why does God get to be God? I want to be God. And so him and his, his other angels uh, started a rebellion against the one true God. And he was cast out of heaven. And ever since, he's been trying to get every single one of us to ask that question. Why does God get to be God? Why can't I be God? So, the second part of verse 1. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, for some reason, uh, in all of history, the fruit, the forbidden fruit, if you will, in Genesis chapter three has been attributed to an apple. Apples get a bad rap, but we have no idea whether it was an apple or not, but we're gonna use it for the case of the illustration. And so take yourself with me to that place uh, in that story. The enemy, the devil, who, who means to steal, kill, and destroy you, he comes up to the woman, Eve. And we don't know this for sure whether or not Adam was right there when the conversation was happening. But isn't it interesting that most of the lies that are repeated to us in our minds happen when we're alone? When we're we're maybe sitting in our room or by ourselves, that's when the, the enemy comes to deceive us and he asks a question like this, did God really say? Is that really in the Bible? Did he really say don't get drunk? Did he really say you should run from uh, sexual sin? Did he really say that? I mean, if you wanna be accepted in your group of friends and they're, and they're drinking and they're partying and, the, and they're, and they're um, hooking up with their girlfriends or boyfriends, wouldn't God want you to be, to be happy? Did God really say, are you sure that's what he said? And so the enemy tries to get you to doubt God's word. And he goes even further. Remember in the story, after she says, yeah, God said, don't eat it and don't touch it. He said, God, you won't die. Don't listen to God. In fact, he's holding out on you. He's holding back some good things from you. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. You can't trust him. He's keeping you back from this knowledge and this um, likeness to God. He's holding back on you. It's it's like my son, Winslow, when we we go on walks in our neighborhood to the park or uh, somewhere else, I always ask him to hold my hand when we cross the street. And guess what he always does every time I try to hold his hand? He pulls his hand away. He wants to be independent. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to cross the street by himself. He thinks that my restriction is a burden to his freedom. And much like a two-year-old thinks that his loving father's restriction is a burden, that's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think that any, anything that God is, is warning you against and calling you to run from, he's just holding out on you. And so the enemy tries to convince us to run towards sin. In fact, he says, do this instead and you'll get what you really want. You wanna be, you wanna have knowledge of good and evil. You want to experience what it's like to truly live. Then do your own thing. Go your own way. Don't listen to God. He's trying to rip you off. Is the lie that the enemy was telling Eve in the garden and has been telling human beings every day ever since. And here's the thing. Going after the thing that you want in your own way, rebelling against God, it always works for just a little bit. It always feels good. You get that pleasure, you get that satisfaction, you get the girl, you get the guy, but it never lasts. It never lasts. And we see that in the story. If you keep reading in Genesis chapter three, here's what happens. The woman uh, sees the fruit and she's like, that looks so good. And I know that it's going to make me wise and it's going to be nourishment for my body. I know that God said that I shouldn't eat it, but I want to do my own thing because I want to be like God. I want to know good and evil. And so she takes a bite. I won't take a bite because I'm still talking to you. And she gives it um, to 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 her husband, Adam, and he takes a bite as well. And instead of becoming like God and knowing good and evil and having all of the, the, um, the, the, the blessings and benefits that they think they were going to get, guess what happens? They get two things that they had never experienced before. It says that right after they ate of the forbidden fruit, that they knew that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so shame begins At the very moment that humanity decides to go their own way. Does that make sense? That's not what they wanted. That's not what they hoped to get. That's what they got. And not just shame. They experienced separation from God for the very first time. If you keep reading in Genesis 3, God comes down and he's walking in the cool of the day. You know what Adam and Eve are doing? They've sown fig leaves and they're hiding from God. Why? Why? Because their relationship with him was broken. Because a thought became a belief, which became an action, which then ultimately became a way of life, broken by sin. And so if we know that our enemy's strategy is to get us to think inaccurately about God, doubt his word, uh, and, and believe that he does not have your best interests at heart, then what should we do? We should know our best defenses against his attacks. Know our best defenses against his attacks. And so here's the the main idea here. Our main tactic, if the enemy's main tactic is to attack our view of who God is, then our best defense is to expand our view of God. Our best defense is to grow our understanding of God. Our best defense is to understand more and more of who he is in increasing measure every single day. Back in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, the second half, it says, And we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. Now what does that mean, to take every thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ? It means to not allow the lies of the enemy that he might be speaking so loudly to you. Maybe in this very moment, it means to take those thoughts and put them under the lordship, the leadership and the authority of Jesus. Maybe an example might be this. Let me give you an example of a lie and how you might be able to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Have you ever... um, had a, a test coming up or a project coming up and you went to school on um, the day that it was due or the, it was time for the test and you asked your friends, did you study? And, and, and everyone in the car was like, no, nah, I went to sleep or I was up late on, you know, on social media or watching some show. Everyone wants to pretend like they weren't working hard on that project. Have you, have you guys ever experienced that? I know you have, I know you have. Everyone wants to act like that was true. When really they were all studying, maybe up really, really late. And maybe the the lie that you believe in that moment, even though maybe you spent hours preparing, is to act like you didn't study either. Like, yeah, I was busy. I was hanging with friends. I was, you know, watching this show on Netflix. Because you believe this lie that, hey, if I bend the truth, if I act like I don't care, maybe I'll feel more welcomed and accepted in this group. You see it? That's the lie from the enemy in that moment. And the truth that you can inform that lie with as you take it captive is to go, my identity isn't based on whether or not my friends care about how much I study or not. It's just not. But in those moments, it feels so powerful and so true, right? But your identity isn't found in what your friends think about your academic interest. And so taking thoughts captive and bringing it under the, the, the truth and reality that your identity is in Jesus, not in what your friends think, is an example of taking your thoughts captive. So how do we do this? How do we get there? How do we get to that place where it becomes second nature, that when there's a thought that's unhealthy or untrue, that the enemy tries to get us to think and believe and act upon and become a habit, how do we take it captive And make it obedient to Christ. Again, the answer is to expand your view of God. So how do you do that? I have a couple of ways that you tonight, right now, can expand your view of God. It's your best defense against the attack of the enemy. The first is to run to God in prayer. If you want to expand your view of who God is, run to God in prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 is one of my favorite verses and really one of our favorite verses as we consider this this topic over this school year. And it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but instead, instead of being anxious, instead of dwelling in your anxiety and stress and loneliness and depression uh, that may be caused by a certain circumstance, instead of doing that, what should you do? In every situation, do what? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so what the Apostle Paul is inviting you and I to consider is that we have an audience with the creator of the universe who means to give you peace, who means for your good and your favor. And when the enemy brings lies into your life that may cause you anxiety and stress and and, and other difficult emotions, he says, don't bear it alone. Don't let it take root in your heart. Instead, bring it to me. Prayer is just talking to God. And so we expand our view of God by running to him in prayer. How do you build a relationship with someone? How do you expand a relationship with someone? You get to know them. You have conversations with them. You spend time with them. And so it is with you and God. If you want to expand your view of God, run to him in prayer. I don't want you to feel like guilt or shame with this question, but think about this for a second. If you were to answer honestly this question on a scale of zero to 100, zero being my prayer life is terrible or non-existent, and 100 being, man, it is really, really good. I feel like I pray consistently um, in my quiet times and throughout the day. If that's 100 and zero is, you couldn't tell the last time you prayed, what grade would you give your prayer life? just, Just think about it honestly in your mind for just a second. And again, I don't want you to feel guilt or shame. I do want you to consider maybe, just maybe, some of the thoughts that you're believing and acting upon and experiencing a way of life that you don't want may find itself in the fact that when those thoughts come, instead of taking them captive and running to God, who is strong and powerful and ready enough to bear it, You try to bear it alone. So the first way to expand your view of God is to run to him in prayer. The second is to read the Bible and reach out to others uh, to remind you of what's true. Read the Bible and reach out to others to remind you of what's true. We just read Philippians four, verse six. Look with me at Philippians uh, four, verse eight. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, Finally, high school students in Dallas, Texas, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what should you do? Think about such things. And so what the, 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 the writer of the, the book of Philippians, Paul, is trying to get across to you and I is that we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of truth in the midst of lies. Does that make sense? When we are tempted to believe a lie, when we're tempted to believe um, what the enemy might be feeding us, we have God's word which isn't just a book of cool stories that happened a couple millennia ago, which isn't just a rule book that if you follow it and do enough good things, God's gonna love you. No, this book, God's word, is the revelation of what God is like when you read this book and you read the stories and you read the letters, you get to see that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is just, that God is good, that God is patient, that God is understanding, that God sees you, knows and cares about you, that God hates sin so much that he sent his own son to live and die and raise again from the dead for your sins. And so maybe you're... you're application from tonight is I got to read the Bible, literally, and just know and understand and deepen my knowledge of who God is. Maybe for some of you, the practical application is this. Man, in those moments where I'm discouraged or feel uh, depressed or anxious or stressed or lonely or whatever it might be, maybe your application is to grab your phone in those moments and text uh, a trusted friend um, one of your small group leaders, a parent that, that loves and follows God and just say, hey, I'm believing this lie right now. I know it's a lie. And it's so annoying that, 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 it, that it's, it's just racking my brain. But will you pray for me that I would um, take this thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus? Would you encourage me? Would you remind me of truth? Do you have someone that comes to mind that you could text in that moment? of desperation and despair and sadness and anxiety, do you have someone? If you don't, Matt, I I invite you um, to to join a small group here. And I know you'll have some in your leaders for sure and, and some of the students in your group that can potentially remind you of what's true in those moments when you're so tempted to believe a lie. The third way to know, uh, to expand your view of God is to reflect on the cross. To reflect on the cross. And so you run to God in prayer. You read the Bible and you reach out to others to remind yourself of truth. And the third way is to reflect on the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate demonstration of the character of God even if you were to never read the Bible, I want you to consider the cross of Jesus. When all of us who were running astray and doing our own thing, when we said, why can't I be God? Why can't I do my own thing? Why do I have to follow his will and his way? Why can't I seek my own desires and my own pleasure and my own satisfaction? When you were saying all of those things, when you were unlovable and unlovely, here's what the God of the universe said. I'm gonna become human. I'm going to become a baby who needs to be fed and changed and who needs to be trained to walk. Imagine that God loved you so much that he became a baby so that he could grow up and that he could live a perfect life and be the sufficient sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he bore all of your sin and all of your shame and he bore the brunt of the wrath of God, his character was on display. His love for you was on display. And so maybe your point of application is to remind yourself of the gospel every single day. And so how do we win the fight for our mind as we wrap up? We know how the enemy attacks. We know our best defenses against his attacks. And lastly, we know the result of fighting back. This is my favorite part of this message. And so if you've tuned out or maybe you missed some points, just zone back in. Know the results of fighting back. When the enemy tries to attack your view of God and you commit to running to God in prayer and reading your Bible and inviting community in to remind you of what's true and to reflect on the goodness of God on display on the cross, what happens is you get two amazing things. First, you get God's peace. One of the results of fighting back is you get God's peace. We skipped Philippians four, verse seven. but I wanna read it now. So in those moments when you're anxious, instead of resting in and dwelling in your anxiety, if you run to God in prayer, here's a promise. This isn't the oh, maybe this kind of will work sometimes, hopefully maybe. No, it is a promise from the God of the universe. Here's what he says, if you run to him in prayer in those moments where the lies of the enemy and the world seem so true to you, he says, here's what you get. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you guys want God's peace? Every single one of you, I know I do. How do you get it? There's a guaranteed way to get God's peace. And that's to run to him because he's a good father who loves you and wants the best for you. And wants you to experience his truth. But also in Philippians 4, not only do you get God's peace when you fight back against the enemy's attacks... You get God himself. You get God himself. Not just his peace, he's not just dropping it off and going about his merry way. You get God himself. Look at what the the last half of Philippians 4 verse nine says. So after it invites you to pray when you're anxious and says that you'll experience God's peace and invites you to think thoughts that are true and, and, and holy and beneficial all of those uh, ideas presented in verse eight. Here's what he says, it will be the result. And the God of peace will be with you. I love that so much. You don't just get his peace, you get him. And so if you're in this room tonight and you are stuck in a way of life that started with a thought that you you, you repeated over and over again to the point where you believed it and it became an action in your life that you repeated and it became a habit and now you feel stuck and you don't know where to go and you feel lost and lonely and broken and you're experiencing all of the the consequences and results of your sin or of running from God or of just the lies that the enemy tries to, to tell you, you can have the God of peace tonight, right now, if you trust him, if you invite him into your life, if you never have before, or if in the middle of those moments where you're, you're struggling with um, the lies that you're tempted to believe, and you can have God's peace, you can have God. And that, that, that sounds simple, maybe saying from the stage. And I, I realize that, that it's really hard to do, but it's possible, not because of your strength or your ability, but because the cross is true, because the resurrection of Jesus really happened. So to win the fight for your mind, expand your view of God. It's a habit that will take a lot of time to develop, but your task is to just trust the spirit. One of my favorite verses uh, that was brought up as we were preparing this message is Isaiah 26, verse three. And it says this, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so your task in the midst of the lies of the enemy or the lies of your own heart is to keep your mind stayed on God and you will experience his peace and you will experience him. Who doesn't want that? You don't have to be just another statistic that's stressed, depressed, and lonely and confused and uh, everything else. There is hope for every single one of you. But that hope only comes by expanding your view of God. Let me pray that you would. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we were reminded of um, from 2 Corinthians, Genesis, and Philippians. I pray that every single one of these students would expand their view of who you are. And that in those moments when they're attacked by the lies of the enemy, that instead of dwelling on it, that they would use the ready defenses running to you in prayer and spending time in your word and inviting community and reflecting on your goodness most clearly demonstrated in the cross we love you in jesus name amen stand and sing thanks for joining us for another episode of the watermark students podcast for more information on watermark students check out watermark.org students and we love you guys so much we're glad you joined us we hope you share this episode with a friend i will talk to you next time